that you're with us. Uh, we're going to jump into part three of how not to be your own worst enemy in just a minute. I just wanted to make a few quick amount announcements. Um, if you're here and maybe um, this is your, your first week, or maybe you've been here for um, the last two weeks, um, and you're looking for a way to connect, or if you've been joining us online for a while and looking for a way to connect, the best way to do that is to head out to our website, journeymain.com. From there, click on the connect card. Uh, let us know you've been here. We'd love to follow up, answer any questions you might have about church. Um, we're just thrilled that you could be with us. While you're on our site, uh, if you're looking for a way to give, that's the easiest way to do it. Head out there. You can make a one-time gift. You can automate your giving. Uh, if you're in the house, you notice we don't pass uh, buckets. We have actually haven't passed buckets in years. This wasn't a COVID thing. Uh, we've just kind of moved away from that. If you would like to give physically, there's a giving box right in the back. Uh, you can feel free to use that. Uh, and finally, um, <clears throat> if you're looking to take your first step at Journey, again, head out to our website. Next Steps kind of outlines what our vision and our strategy is. We would love to see you connect. Uh, one of the primary ways you can do that now is by joining one of our serve teams. We're in plans and talking through uh, getting our kids' ministry back up and running, and we could definitely use some more help there. We have a phenomenal AV department, and we've expanded that over the last few months. So we're always looking for ways uh, uh, to see people connect and get plugged in. That We feel serving is one of the best ways to do it. If you're here with kids, we're just going to address this. We know you're here. We love that you're here. Please don't feel awkward at all about any of the noise. I have three little girls, and they make the most noise of anyone here. They have the last two weeks, and most assuredly, they will this week. So please, don't feel uncomfortable or awkward at all. We are totally okay with that. We are just thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you're here with us this morning. So we're going to jump into this talk this morning. Have you ever heard of, of this phrase? Have you ever heard of the genetic fallacy? You, you know what a fallacy is for sure, right? A fallacy is an error in reasoning, something that doesn't make any sense. We, we kind of bridge two, two pieces of logic together, and how we bridge them doesn't make sense. A, a way we do that is to say something like this. My dog has four legs. My cat has four legs. Therefore, my cat must be a dog. Right? It, it just, that doesn't make sense. Or here's an, another way of saying it. Um, Bill lives in an enormous apartment complex. Therefore, Bill must have an enormous apartment. Right? It just, it doesn't seem to always add up. Well, the genetic fallacy is a little bit different of a fallacy. A genetic fallacy does this. It, it uh, discounts the reliable information based on source rather than the merits of the information. So a genetic fallacy discounts the reliability of information based on the person giving the information, some advice that was given to you, based on the person giving it rather than on the merits of that information. So, for example, if I got up here today and I said, hey, you know, this morning I saw a report on CNN. Half of you would go, oh, CNN, they're the worst. But if I got up here and I said, hey, this morning I got a report uh, uh, from Fox News, the other half of you would say, Fox News, they're just the worst. It's so easy to discount information based on the source of the information as opposed to the merit of the information or the advice that's given. And we all tend to do that. We all have the ability to do that. We're in this talk of how not to be your own worst enemy. And here's what I find really interesting is as we kind of dove into this in week one, we said we all have a tendency of being, becoming our own worst enemy, right? We all have this ability of becoming our own worst enemy. We, we shared stories of, of what, it would, uh, what it would kind of feel like as, as we uh, um, maybe perhaps were our own worst enemy, like I shared my story when I was in college. Maybe you have a funny story. But, but what I find really interesting is we all know people, and perhaps you may have even been this person, who have kind of done it really big, kind of gone to the excess. They've kind of blown up their entire life or blown up their entire marriage or you know, their finances, their professional career, academically, relationally. They kind of went to the extreme. And as you're watching it happen, if you're anything like me, you kind of say, stop, just, just stop, don't do that. You're doing that to yourself. And then another thing we tend to say is this, I would never, 
I would never do that. I would never do what, and you know, you finish the sentence. But, but here's what we all know, is that we all have the potential to do that, don't we? We all have the potential because, as we said in week one, we have all participated in all of our bad decisions. We were the common denominator. We were the thing that, made, that was the same in every decision we've ever made. We participated in all of our bad decisions. And what's even worse than that is, as we've seen this kind of play out in other people's life, is that a single bad decision, a single bad decision is always the first step toward becoming your own worst enemy. No one like, just, just wakes up one morning and decides, I'm going to blow up my life. But it's been a series of poor decisions that leads to a bad decision. And the first step <clears throat> happens easy, right? Every, every addiction ha- starts with the first time. Every pattern starts with the first line. Every journey starts with the first step. And though we may not wake up this morning and decide we're going to do that, if we're not careful through a series of bad decisions, we'll get to the place where we're on the apex of a big decision. We're talking a big decision that would change your life forever. And you might wake up one morning and, and discover that you are your own worst enemy. And we don't want that to happen. So we've kind of laid out this series, and we said we're going to lay out three preemptive habits, three things we can begin doing now to ensure that we don't become our own worst enemy. Preemptive habit number one was this, pay attention to the tension. If you have an offer, if you have a, a job offer, if you're about to jump into a relationship, but there's, there's something that doesn't settle right with you, there's maybe a ding in your conscience, you're feeling this tension. If what you're about to do, is it doesn't bother anyone else, but it's bothering you, let it bother you. Pay attention to the tension because that might be the Holy Spirit trying to keep you from becoming your own worst enemy. Preemptive habit number two, we said this last week, was to pay attention to your narratives. Pay attention to the things you tell yourself. <clears throat> when you're trying to convince yourself to do whatever it is you're about to do, maybe to take that offer, to jump into that relationship, and to take this new thing that's coming your way. Pay attention to the things you tell yourself. Here's a great piece of advice. You really don't have to convince yourself to ever do a really good idea, do you? As, and today we're going to talk about preemptive habit number three. Preemptive habit number three is to this, to pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. Pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. Pay attention. Pay attention when someone says to you, I don't know that that's a really good idea. I don't know that that's something you should do. But pay attention when, when you're thinking about jumping into a relationship. Well, I don't really know that, that she's right for you. I don't know that he's right for you. I don't know that this career is, is the best move. I don't know that moving is the best thing for you. Pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. Here, here's the thing. Somebody's been there before, whether you, whether you believe it or not. Somebody's gone through what you've gone through, and there are voices of wisdom. There are people out there who would love to share from their experience to help you not become your own worst enemy. But, but if we're not careful, if we fall into this fallacy, if we discount the voices of wisdom, if we discount the wisdom not based on the wisdom given but on the person giving it, we become subject to the fallacy, and, and truthfully, we might become our own worst enemy. You see, our own worst decisions, and again, this isn't like the funny ha-ha decisions. Our worst decisions, like the, the tipping point decisions, the, the, the decisions that, that, that were made that kind of upended someone's life, the decisions that were made when we talked about the people who did it really big, where they wish they could go back to that moment in time and kind of redecide or underside or, or, or do things differently. Those kind of big decisions, our worst decisions, are always preceded by a series of unwise decisions. It always happens with a step. And a step. And then, and then you realize you're where you never really wanted to be. And you're on the cusp of becoming your own worst enemy. Our worst decisions are always preceded by a series of unwise decisions. So let's discover. How do we not make unwise decisions? 
What are things we can do in our life to not make some unwise decisions? We're going to look at, at the, the Hebrew Bible. This, Christians, we call this the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's this incredible piece of narrative that was written. It's really not a very popular story in the Old Testament, but there's so much truth, that there's so much wisdom that we can learn from this. And uh, This takes place in 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, it kind of tells the story of Israel's kings. If you're familiar with Israel, they're, they're a, a, a nation of 12 tribes, and they have a series of kings. So we're going to show you, um, just for some context, what the, the kings look like. If you remember from your Sunday school days, there was King Saul. He was Israel's first king. And then there was the most famous king of Israel, King David. He was like the king. You probably have heard of him, whether you've been in church or not. And then there was, there was King Solomon. King Solomon was David's son, and Solomon was considered the wisest king in all the land. And then there was this assumption that when Solomon died, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would become the, the next king. But, but this is where the story picks up because something interesting happens in, in this story with, with Rehoboam and, and his coming to power and, and really him making some decisions. And it starts off with him making some good decisions, and then it very quickly turns to him making some really, really poor and awful decisions. But before we jump into this, I need to introduce another character, and his name is Jeroboam. And Jeroboam isn't some, a name that many people know. And if you're wondering, who is Jeroboam? That's the perfect question to ask because this is going to take us right into our story. So here we go. <clears throat> now, Jeroboam was a man of standing. That is, people thought like he was the guy. People thought he, was, he had it going on. He was the leader. He just had this, this reputation in the community. He was, he was somebody of importance. Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force which is a big deal. This is like, this is like becoming part of the, of the cabinet in, uh, in today's standards, right? He, he's, he's, he's working, he's working hard, and he's being recognized by those above him. And, and they, they put him in, like, they kind of give him a raise. They give him a promotion. They, they put him in a position of power. Jeroboam becomes part of this forced labor force. King Solomon uh, has started doing some work in, in Judea, and we're talking like a, a ton of work at this point. He has, a, get this, 150,000 stone cutters and stone transporters to build these, these massive monuments and palaces that, that he wants. And he's kind of accumulated all of this. This is like the entire male population of this area at this time. He's accumulated all these workers, not really by paid labor, but by forced labor. And he puts Jeroboam in charge of this forced labor, in charge of, of this group of people who are so, like basically put in charge of building these incredible, incredible palaces, incredible things for King Solomon. <clears throat> About this time, Jeroboam was going out of Israel. He was leaving one day, and Ahijah the prophet of Shiloh met him. And any time you meet a prophet, something weird's about to go down. If you've ever read the Old Testament, the prophets, they're a little weird. They, they do some strange things. They say some strange things. Sure enough, this happens to Jeroboam. He's on his way out of the city. The prophet stops him. He takes off his coat, and he starts ripping his coat up into pieces. And then he hands Jeroboam 10 of the pieces, and he says this. He says, see, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. See, Jeroboam, here's the deal. Solomon is going to get two. You're going to get 10. We're going to end this thing. <clears throat> and the reason he wants to end it is because King Solomon has become kind of a pagan king. And he's a pagan king because he started worshiping all these other gods. That's like the definition of becoming pagan. Solomon has married a ton of wives, like a boatload of wives. So many, he doesn't even have names for them. He has numbers. That's how they number his wives. He married every famous person's daughter to work another deal or another peace treaty and all of these wives serve different gods, so he begins to build them these, these temples and these monuments all around Judea. He begins to worship these gods. And in doing so, in becoming a pagan king, he treats his people like a pagan king treats his people. 
He doesn't treat them with respect. He treats them as slaves. And the prophet is saying, God's had enough. God's going to end it, but he's not going to take it all the way. God says, I'm going to keep my word to David. He follows up with this. He says, but Solomon, sorry, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam and Jeroboam fled to Egypt and stayed there until Solomon's death. The prophet said, here's what's going to happen, Jeroboam. I'm going to keep my word. 10 of the tribes will go to you. I'll keep my word to David and Solomon's son will get two tribes. Jeroboam gets all excited by the news. He thinks this is kind of weird. He kind of runs off and he starts telling people, hey, look, look what happened to me. I bet this prophet, he tore up his coat. This is weird. I'm supposed to get 10. Solomon's getting two. Word gets back to Solomon. Solomon gets upset and Solomon comes after Jeroboam. Jeroboam has no other choice but to leave. He has no other choice but to flee. So that's exactly what he does. Jeroboam flees. And he goes to a countryside and he begins to live out the rest of his days because Solomon is after him. Well, then Solomon dies eventually, and this is where our story picks up. Rehoboam went to Shechem. This is a city in Jerusalem. This was actually the ancient capital of Israel. For all of Israel had gone there to make him king. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is about to become king. Best day of his life. When Jeroboam, I know there's a lot of bones, but we'll roll with it. When Jeroboam heard this, he's ecstatic. Finally, the king's dead. I can go home. He was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. And he returns from Egypt. And he makes it into town. And people are so excited that Jeroboam's back. He still has his standing. He still has his reputation. So, so the leaders in Israel, they send for Jeroboam. And he and the whole assembly of Israel, representing this entire nation, they make their way to this new king. And they basically say, they say, king, we have a request for you. And the king says, okay, tell me your request. Jeroboam and the assembly say this. Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us. But now we want you to lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke that he put on us. And Jeroboam, or Rehoboam rather, if you do this, we will serve you. We will willfully become your servants. We will willfully work for you. But lighten the load your dad put on us. All this non-stop construction, all the taxes, all taking men out of their homes and sending them to foreign lands to, to cut rock, to build your dad another monument. Like if you end that, we will serve you and we will serve you gladly. And then Rehoboam, he makes, really, he makes two good decisions right up front. The first one he does is this. He says, hey, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. He's like, hey, I, I need, this could be a good idea, but I need some time to process. I need some time to think. Give me some time. Good decision. The next decision he makes is another good decision, and he does this. King Rehoboam then consulted with the elders who had served his father during his lifetime. These are the old guys. These are the, the old timers. These are the gray hairs. These are the guys that, that have some experience, right? They, they knew uh, the decisions that Solomon made or the decisions that Solomon should have made. They knew what was going on in the kingdom because Solomon didn't hear anything. If you lead an organization, if you're a leader at all, maybe you run your own business or uh, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you, you know that you don't always hear what's going on, right? You don't get the unfiltered information from the bottom. It never trickles its way up. I know this as, as a leader. You never, everybody has opinions on what you do and what you say. And you never tend to hear all of it. So you need some people around you to give you the honest truth. You need people around you who know what's going on and are willing to tell you what's going on so you can make better decisions. Rehoboam makes a good decision. Here's what I'm going to do. Give me some time. Let me go back and consult with, with these, these wise men that consulted with my father, these elders, these people that know what's happening in the community, these people that know what my dad should have done and truthfully know what I should do. He consults the elders. How would you advise me to answer these people? They replied, if today you will be a servant of these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. 
Rehoboam, do you want to be the king of a united nation, of a united Israel? Then heed their word. Lighten the load. Give them a break, and they will serve you forever. But that's not what Rehoboam thought. What Rehoboam thought is what we might be tempted to think. What do you know? You're just a bunch of old people. You're just a bunch of old guys. Like, this is my time. You've lived your life. This is my life. I'm a young guy. I've got dreams. I've got aspirations. I, I want to do something with my life. But you're just a bunch of old guys. What do you know? And he discounted their good advice because of where the advice came from, not how good the advice was. And Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him. See, here's the thing. It's what he needed to hear but it's not what he wanted to do. But it was the only way to get to where he wanted to be. Did you know there are people in your life who, who've gone through what you've gone through? Or perhaps they, they may not have even gone through what they've gone through. But they have wisdom to speak into your life for what you're going through. They, they have things to say. And, and, and perhaps, you, you know, you may look and say, but you've never run a company and you've never, you, you've never led an organization and you've never gone through a divorce and you're only 18 and, you know, you're, old, you're 68. You have no idea what's going on in my life. You're, you're too old. You're too young. And we just begin to discount based on who the advice is coming from, not on the advice that is given. Pay attention to the voice of wisdom around you. I wish Rehoboam would have done that, but he didn't. In this case, Rehoboam wanted a united kingdom, and these older men that he sought advice from knew how to get a united kingdom. But Rehoboam said, that sounds weak. That's not what I want. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders. Here's the thing, though. This is where it gets really interesting. This is how he becomes his own worst enemy. He begins to de deny the advice, deny the wise counsel that was given to him. He begins to, to do the things he wants to do, thinking it's going to get him to where he wants to be, but nothing could be further from the truth. This is how you end up where you don't want to be. If you want to be your own worst enemy, <clears throat> surround yourself with people who will tell you what you want to hear and keep doing those things. And eventually you'll end up exactly where you don't want to be. So let me ask you the question, and then we'll get back into the story. Whose advice are you currently ignoring? Wh whose advice are you currently ignoring? Who's speaking into your life? Who's telling you things that perhaps you don't want to hear? Who's telling you things and you think that you have no idea? You're single and I'm married. You're, you're divorced and I'm not. You've never gone through this. You've never led a company. You don't have kids like I have. You may have kids, but if you, you don't have my kids. And based on where they are or who they are, you discount that advice over and over and over. Now, there is definitely some advice you need to discount. But, but if you're discounting it immediately based on who they are without listening to the advice given, you're becoming your own worst enemy, whether you realize it or not. Whose advice are you currently ignoring? But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he consulted with the young men who had grown up with him, who were serving him. Young men who had no more life experience than he did. Young men who, who, who not only had no, no experience, no more experience than he did, had no idea to, to how to do the things that he was doing. These are men that, that not only that, they served him. They worked for him. They needed something from him. These are men that were in it for something. They needed something from Rehoboam. Rehoboam goes to these men, rejects the advice of the elders. Hey, 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 my friends. Hey, guys that are under me. Hey, guys that I'm paying. What would you do in this situation? 
He asked him, what's your advice? How should we answer these people that say, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? Because we can always find somebody who's going to tell us what we want to hear. We can always find that. The challenge for us is this. And, and for some of you, you just need somebody in your life to kind of grab you by the collar and, and kind of shake you a little bit and say this. The problem with always doing what you want to do is eventually you arrive exactly, precisely where you don't want to be. And some of you know that from experience. Some of you perhaps might be walking that road right now. You've rejected and you've rejected and you've rejected and you've always done what you've wanted to do, thinking it would take you where you want to be. But now you find yourself in a spot that you never thought you'd be and you never wanted to be and you don't know how you got there. Here's how. You did what you wanted to do and you did what you wanted to do and you ended up precisely where you didn't want to be. Challenge for you and for me is to look in the mirror, to ask ourselves the question, have we fallen into this rut? Have we fallen into this trap? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make, us, make it lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. So apparently Solomon was a big guy. The more wealthy you have, the more you tended to eat, the bigger you got. He said, you, you basically, you think my dad was fat? My little finger is bigger than him. My little finger is thicker than him. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. My father laid a heavy yoke on you. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And scorpions are a type of whip, right? Whips were used for slaves. Scorpions were used for criminals. So here's the translation. My dad may have treated you like slaves. I will treat you like criminals. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people of Israel returned to Rehoboam. Jeroboam's there. He's already sort of become the spokesperson for all the nation of Israel. The king answered the people harshly rejecting the advice given him by the elders. And in that moment where he rejected the advice and he says what I'm about to tell you, in that moment, he sealed his fate and the fate of a nation. A series of unwise decisions led to a catastrophic decision that would impact tens of thousands of people. And as we can see, for a long period of time, Ray Bohm answers, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, which is kind of interesting. It means they went there expecting the king to give this answer. They went there expecting that the king's not going to listen. They had a prepared statement. Jeroboam begins to speak up with a prepared statement. And as he reads it, you can see this came from another rebel who rebelled against King David. And this statement, this document, this script had been passed around the community and they knew it. And he begins to recite this message back to the king. Here's what Jeroboam says. What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? Jesse was David's father. To your tents, Israel. Leave him alone. Look after your own house, David. We don't need you. We don't recognize your right to rule us anymore. You didn't listen. We're not serving you. You can do whatever you want. Scourge us with whips. Scourge us with scorpions. We don't care. We've given up on your rule. Jeroboam, you should have listened. The Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. And the nation became divided, just as the prophet said it would. Rehoboam doesn't believe this is actually happening. He kind of, he kind of brushes it off. He goes back and tells his advisors, yeah, they reacted kind of poorly, but give it a few weeks and this will go away and things will go back to normal. Then he makes another bad decision. King Rehoboam sent out Adinoram, who was in charge of forced labor, 
but all of Israel stoned him to death. We're not working for you. You didn't listen to us. You said you were going to make it worse. So we rebel. So Israel was in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Ten tribes of Israel rebelled and divided the kingdom. Two tribes remained under Rehoboam. And for years, for hundreds, for thousands of years, the nation was divided. And here's the thing. Because the nation was divided, it was weakened. And because it was weakened, it became vulnerable. Because it became vulnerable, it became invadable. Just like you and me, when we don't listen to wise counsel. We become weakened. We become vulnerable. We become invadable. We make decisions. And here's the, the real kicker. We make decisions that we think only affect us. But, but let's be completely honest. They don't just affect us, do they? When our life blows up, the shrapnel of, of this bad decision doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. It affects the people we love. It affects the people we lead. It affects the people that, that we care the most about. That's why this is so incredibly important. Because how we live, the decisions we make, whether or not we become our own worst enemy, we're also affecting those around us. And that stands in stark contrast to how Jesus commanded us to live for him. So let me ask you. Let me, let me ask you what you should be asking other people. Find somebody. Find somebody who, who, who sees what you're going through, somebody you care about, somebody who has nothing to gain from telling you the truth and ask this question. What would you do if you were in my shoes? I had a conversation with a mentor this week who has nothing to gain. I asked the very same question. What would you do if you were in my shoes? I know you may not be a pastor. You may not have, have raised three daughters. I know you may not lead a company. You, you may not be going through the same situation I'm going through. But whatever advice you give me, you have really nothing to gain. What would you do if you were in my shoes? And, and I know we tend to fight against this and, and we, we get uncomfortable with this. And maybe perhaps the, the first thing we get uncomfortable with is this. But really, it, it's none of their business, right? We don't think it's anyone's business. But, but here's the thing, is that these, these private decisions that we make, they always have public consequences, don't they? These, these private things that we think we're doing, when our life finally blows up, it becomes very public. We see it all the time. We see it in the news. We see it on social media. We see it in our lives. We see it in our friends' lives. Something they thought was just their business. It's just my business. When they become their own worst enemy, when they cross that tipping point decision and they make that decision and their life blows up, it affects everyone. It becomes something very private. It becomes very public. So invite them in. Yeah, it might not be any of their business. But wise people invite them into their business. And say, what would you do if you were in my shoes? How would you handle this? What decision would you make? Don't discount the advice based on the person giving it. Each week through this series, we've asked you to make a commitment. And it goes right along with the message. So this week, I'm going to ask you to make another commitment. I want you to try this one for, for a month, for a week if you're in it. But if you're, if you're not on the cusp of making a decision, give it a month. <clears throat> develop this habit and it will help change your life. It will make your life better. It will keep you from living with regrets, from becoming your own worst enemy. The commitment is simply this. I will not automatically discount advice based on the source of the advice. 
I will not automatically discount advice based on the source of the advice. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to cancel it out because of who gave, who gave it. I'm not going to worry about whether or not, you know, you're 18 or you're 36 or you're 54. You know, she's a woman. How would she know how I feel? He's a man. How would he know? Don't discount advice on, based on the source. If you're going to discount the advice, discount it based on the merits of it. And some advice needs to be discounted. But for some of us, we need to pay attention to what's going on on the inside because we, we've, we, we've convinced ourselves before we ever hear the advice. So we're going <clears> to <throat> ask the worship team to come up. And I'm just going to refresh as they do. Preemptive habit number one, pay attention to the tension. Whatever you're feeling on the inside, whatever decision you're coming on the cusp of making, whatever you think you're going through and you feel that little hesitation, pay attention to that tension. And then pay attention to the story you tell yourself. Pay attention to the narrative. And finally, pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. You want to know how to not to be your own worst enemy? Do these three things. And here's why this is so important. Because Jesus, on the final night, he gathered all of his men together. And he gave us a new imperative. He said, here's what I want you to do. All the other teachings, they, they come down to these two things, to love God and to love people, but to love people the way that I have loved you. And you can never love people the way that God through Christ loved us. If we continue to make selfish decisions, if we continue to become our own worst enemy, if we make decisions that blow up and hurt those around us, we can't love them the way Jesus did. So if you want to love people well, if you want to love Jesus well, if you want to love you well, pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to the narratives. Pay attention to the wise wisdom, the voices of wisdom around you. That'll keep you from living with many regrets. It'll keep you from becoming your own worst enemy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this incredible narrative, for this story, God, uh, that we is so easily missed in the Old Testament, but God has so much truth for us. I pray for each of us, Lord, who, who may be on the cusp of making a decision or, or maybe in the throes, God, of, of having made that decision and the consequences of it. God, that you would help us to see the trouble coming. You would help us to see the decision coming before it gets here and give us the wisdom to know what to do. God, to pay attention to the, to the little dings in our spirits, to the voice of the Holy Spirit that would speak to us, to pay attention to the lies we tell ourselves. God, to convince us to do what we shouldn't be doing. And finally, Lord, to pay attention to the people you've surrounded us with who could speak in and give us wisdom. God, I pray that you would keep us from becoming our own worst enemy. You would teach us to love those around us well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.